Well, friends, good evening and a warm welcome. My name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor of our church family. And what a, what a joy it is to, to welcome you. Whether you come to our church normally, whether you've not been to our church before, whether you don't normally go to any church, we are just delighted that you are with us tonight. Merry Christmas. We're looking forward to this time together. I hope you've been enjoying the, the sights and the smells and the sounds of Christmas. We have in our family, though I have to tell you that the sounds of Christmas have caused some arguments in our, in our household, right? Because I am married to, to Rosie, who she thinks like Christmas music, November hits, and she thinks it's time to jingle all the way through Christmas, Christmas Eve, right? I, on the other hand, I'm, I'm going to paint myself as a bit of the Scrooge here. I'm just not a big fan of Christmas music. So uh, here's how it goes. She turns on the radio, I change it, she changes it, she changes it, we go back and forth, we go. And so I start to build a case as to why Christmas music is kind of weird, right? And I start to jot down some lyrics that, like Christmas music, that, that I just think kind of weird, right? Here's the first one. Well-known, Santa Claus is coming to town. You know what? A great one. He sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> like, this, this sounds like a stalker. Right? I'm not going to write this guy a letter. I'm going to get a restraining order. Right? Or uh, the 12 days of Christmas. Did anybody, anybody ask for a partridge in a pear tree? Anyone? Right? Or what about some uh, milking maids? Or uh, none of y'all better have asked for nine dancing ladies. Okay, that's for sure. Right? Um, or church songs too. Mary, did you know? Remember that one? Right? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Yes, that is literally exactly what the angel told her would happen, right? <laughs> Our little drummer boy, you know this one, little drummer boy? The ox and ass kept time, right? <laughs> Livestock with rhythm, right? <laughs> Next year, you guys are out. We're getting cattle in here. We're gonna rock this thing, right? Uh, Frosty the snowman melts, and as he melts says, I'll be back again someday. <laughs> It's like the eschatological return none of us expected, right? Um, oh, here's one. Um, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Well, now, honestly, the title alone, I feel like I could rest my case, but here's, here's my favorite verse. So we're talking about Grandma, right? She'd been drinking too much eggnog, and we begged her not to go, but she forgot her medication and staggered into the snow. Like, <laughs> Merry Christmas, you know? We're not even going to talk about baby is cold. <laughs> now, wherever you stand on Christmas music, we really do believe that this can be the most wonderful time of the year. Coming not to those lyrics, but to the better word, the word of God, where we understand and can reflect upon the true beauty of Christmas. So let's turn there for, for just one moment to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, I'm going to read uh, just uh, three short verses of this chapter, verses 27 through 29. Let's come to Jesus and see why this can be the most wonderful time of the year. We read that Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Heavenly Father, we believe that 
none of us is here tonight by accident, that you have brought us here by grace. And because you're a generous God, we're, we're not afraid to ask for more grace, that having brought us here by grace, you might now give us grace to rightly understand the meaning of Christmas. Be with us, Lord, we ask, because we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Do you remember your last road trip? When was your last road trip? Maybe you took a road trip to be here tonight. You've come here to stay with friends, with with family. Maybe you're about to go on a road trip tomorrow as you go visit friends or family. All of us know what it's like to be on a road trip. And as we join Jesus, he's in the middle of a road trip of his own. You see it there? He's on the way with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, most of us haven't been to Caesarea Philippi, but it's important to note that we could go. We could go on a road trip to Caesarea Philippi. Why? Because remember that the Bible is a book of of history. The events described in the Bible really did take place, and the places described in the Bible really do exist. We're not talking here about Narnia or Wakanda. We're talking about a real place that actually does exist that we could go to. Now, Caesarea Philippi, in Jesus' day, was a very beautiful place. In a typically arid landscape, it was home to streams and springs. In fact, if we did go there today, we'd find it in the middle of of a nature reserve. But not only was it a very beautiful place, in Jesus' day, it was also a very religious place. Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus and his disciples are road tripping at this time, was a very religious place. So the Greek god Pan had a temple there. And the Roman Emperor Augustus also had a temple there. And the Jews set up idolatrous shrines in that region during the Old Testament. Now, in the center of religious pluralism, it's about to become the the epicenter of a gospel explosion as Jesus reveals to his disciples for the first time who he really is. A savior who's great enough to meet the needs of all people, Greeks, Romans, Jews. His cross will bear the languages of all three. All the world can be saved by this Jesus, including you and including me. Let's look at it. Verse 27. They're on their road trip. They're talking back and forth when suddenly Jesus asks the first of his two questions. See his two questions in the text. First, verse 27. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? You ever wonder what people think about you? Uh, what's your What's your reputation like? How would people describe describe you? Well, here Jesus turns and asks the disciples, "Hey, what's the word on the street about me? What does popular opinion say?" And look at verse twenty-eight. He gets three different answers. Some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist, remember he's a New Testament prophet, bit of a wild man, famous for his challenging teaching, famous for speaking truth to power. Now on the one hand, it's kind of strange that people would think Jesus is John the Baptist. Why? Because at this point, John the Baptist is dead. Herod had cut off his head. On the other hand, it's maybe not so strange. Because remember what had been happening in Jesus' life at this time. He's been uh, going about his his public ministry. So where Jesus goes, blind people suddenly receive their sight. 
And the deaf are suddenly able to hear. And lepers are suddenly clear, cleansed of, of their diseases. And even dead people are raised back to life. Now, people saw these things happening, and they didn't doubt that these things had happened. Instead, they struggled to try and explain how these things could have happened. And one solution, that a rumor started to spread, that Jesus was able to do these things because he himself was this figure who had come back from the dead. So perhaps strange they thought this, but maybe not so strange that, that they thought this. If he'd come back from the dead, that would explain the powers he clearly had. For similar reasons, perhaps, others suggest he's not John the Baptist, but he is Elijah. Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, also a bit of a wild man, famous for his miracles. Now, if we read back in the Bible, we find that Elijah is one of only two people ever who didn't actually die. He was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And so, again, to try and explain why Jesus had such powers, the rumor started to spread, well, maybe he's Elijah returned from the other, the other side. That would certainly explain why he's able to do all these amazing miracles. So, maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's, he's Elijah. Then we see the third group. You see them there in verse 28. They're less committal. They just say, he's one of the prophets. So, they're not really entirely sure who he is. So they just kind of go for you know, one of the prophets. Prophets. He's, he's an important man, they say. Now, all three of these answers have, have two things in common. First of all, they're, they're respectful answers. They all recognize that Jesus is an important man. Even that Jesus is an important man sent by God, a prophet of sorts. But sadly, the second thing these three answers have in common is not just that they're respectful, but also that they're wrong. John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophets, they all come to point toward another, to a Savior who is to come. And Jesus arrives and says, I point toward no other. I am the Savior who is to come. See how he draws this out with the second question in verse 29. Who do people say that I am? He is asked now in verse 29. He says, but who do you say that I am? Hey, forget about the public opinion. Forget about the word on the street. I want to know what you think. And can you just imagine how in this moment on the road that the tension would have escalated? Because this is a very different question. You know, imagine I say, um, who, who, who did the people vote for in, in the last presidential election? Who won the last presidential election? Well, we'd all give our answer. But now how different does it feel if I ask you to stand up and say, you know, who did you vote for in the last presidential election? The move from the general to the specific, from the vague to the very personal, ratchets up the tension on the road. And is it a surprise? No, it's not a surprise that Peter, the most colorful of the disciples, answers first. The only surprise is that this time he's actually right. <laughs> Look at verse 29. Who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ. Christ. Now we understand, don't we, that Christ, it's not Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ, right? It wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ, and then they had Jesus Christ, right? It's not his last name, it's not him James Forsyth, or he's Jesus Christ, no. Christ isn't his last name, Christ is his title. It's a title. It means Messiah, it means anointed one, it is the title that will be given to the Savior who is to come. Since the Garden of Eden, where our readings began together tonight, 
The scriptures have been waiting, waiting for a Messiah, waiting for the Savior, waiting for the Christ who is to come, waiting for the one who will fulfill the promises of God and bring his people back to him. Now Peter declares that the Christ has arrived. This is not merely a prophet sent from God to tell us the way of salvation. This is God incarnate come to be the way of salvation. Jesus is the Christ, the one who's come down to save us. Late in the night of March 13th, 1964, a young woman, 28 years old, by the name of Kitty Genovese, was on her way home after working the late shift at a bar in, in New York City. Well, she arrived home and she parked her car about 100 feet from the apartment in which she lived. And she turned off the engine and she started to make, make her way home. Well, as she walked those 100 steps from the shadows, a man attacked, tracked her down and stabbed her twice in the back. She, she cried and she, she screamed for help. And in the apartments above her, some lights came on. And then some curtains started to twitch. And startled by, by this, the, the attacker ran away, leaving Katie Genovese uh, wounded, bleeding in the street. Now, we don't exactly know what happened next, but, but here's what we do. Nobody came down to help her. And as the minutes passed from the shadows, the attacker returned took $49 from her wallet, and then took her life from this world. The good news of Christmas, the good news of Christ, is that God has heard our screams and he has come down to save us. You say, James, all this talk of murder isn't that a little dark for Christmas Eve? And we say, you've got to understand why Christmas is such good news. You've got to understand the challenge of, of the Bible, which is to say there is blood on the floor, the self-inflicted wounds of sin. We've done things we ought not to have done, left undone those things we ought to have done. When we've made a mess of our lives, when we've not lived up to our own expectations, let alone anyone else's, when we've con contributed to, to the mess that is the world. We realize, don't we all realize that the problems with the world aren't all external to us? All the problems aren't just out there. Some of the problems are in here too. And we all realize that because we all hate people who think they're perfect. We know that we've contributed to the mess that's become our earth. And the good news of Christmas is that God is not indifferent to our situation. He's not indifferent to our need. He's not indifferent to your plight. Christ has come down to save us, even though it will cost him his very life. So the question for us is Christ's question. Who do you say that I am? It's a question that all of humanity must answer. It divides humanity in two, but it's still a personal question. You know, Jesus will not ask you what your friends think of him. He will not ask you what your family thinks of him. He will not ask you what your church or what your pastor thinks of him. He will ask you what you think of him. Who do you say that I am? And how will you explain the impossible things that Jesus did and the undeniable impact he's had on our world since he came. How, how will you answer 
this, this question? Will you give the, the respectful answer? Well, Jesus, he's, he's an important figure, an important teacher. Amongst many other important figures and important teachers, let me kindly tell you that the respectful answer is, is the wrong answer. It's not who Jesus claims to be. He claims to be the Christ. And do you know what? The respectful answer isn't actually, in the end, even all that respectful. To say he's a good man amongst many good men, here's why. Um, imagine you ask me after service about my wife, Rosie, and I say she's a beautiful woman. Among many beautiful women, right? Is she going to say, I, just, that was, I feel so respected? <laughs> you know, that was such a, I thought such a respectful answer. No. She, she's going to be outraged that I'm going to be deeply afraid, right? But that is not the right answer to this question. Well, in the same way, I understand that the kind of seemingly respectful answer it turns out not to be the right answer to this question. As God sends his son from the majesty of heaven on a mission of love to save his own doesn't come to be one among many. He comes to be your Savior. He comes to be your Christ. And he would have us understand this truth tonight, to see that he is the Christ, the Savior we've been waiting for, the one who's come down to save us. He would have us be willing to swim against the tide of popular opinion. He would have us be willing to have the courage to step out and confess that he is the Christ. Call him Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to celebrate Christmas to worship the Christ. For Christians, uh, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Not because it's some like nice, warm, happy, fluffy, feel-good celebration around a tree, but because it's a joyful celebration of Christ. That there was indeed blood on the floor because of our self-inflicted wounds. But God has heard our cries and he has come down to save us. We now sing with angels, glory to God in the highest. And if we do, then we road trip with him. He walks with us in this life. We believe he'll walk us even to the next. The question we must answer, who do you say that I am? Answer, you are the Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that Jesus came and he didn't sort of play games or beat around the bush or give sort of nice uh, politically correct answers, but he told us those things that we need to know, that we are in need of a Savior and that he has heard our cries and he has come to save us so that anyone who would call him Christ can be a Christian, receive forgiveness, full and free. And now walk with him here in this life. And Lord, that just changes everything when it comes to Christmas. So give us faith. Lord, there are many in this, this room tonight who have, who, have, who have walked as Christians for years. Give them new and renewed courage, new depth of of love for their Savior. For those who, who maybe haven't called themselves Christians, Lord, would they tonight respond? And would tonight be the night that they, they begin? Would they begin by calling Christ Christ? Receiving forgiveness full and free. Lord, we want to say, 
in response to your great question, that you are the Christ. Give us faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.